coming up on Garden Talk. In a two by two, you know, that's 16 tops, give or take. So if I can, if I can get 16 tops on one plant and they all have about five to seven nodes, that's a perfect canopy to start flower with. I come home to happy, healthy plants when I have organics. When I'm dealing with synthetics, I tend to do something wrong or I overfeed or you know, something goes wrong and then I end up with issues. I want to keep a quicker cycle if I can, but you know, I also want to have the most yield I can get out of that space. So if I have to veg a little longer, I will. Worry about it the next run, man. I think that's my best bet is to keep my, my stress levels down because it's, it's very easy when you're passionate about these plants to let it get to you and stress you out. But I, I think that the happier I am, the happier my plants generally are. What's up, everybody? For you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This episode number 93. In this episode, I interview 2 by 2 Gorilla Glue. He has been gardening for three years, and he grows in a, you guessed it, 2 by 2 grow space. He focuses on maximizing that grow space in order to achieve the highest yield possible. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. If you gain value from these podcast episodes, please click the like button and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That way you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to support even more, visit patreon.com slash mrgrowit. There are various rewards set up for those that support, and you can pledge any amount that you'd like. 100% of the money pledged through Patreon goes right back on the podcast. It helps keep this podcast going, so thank you so much for your support there. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring free gardening information of all plants to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode that helped make that goal possible. Thanks to Grow Strong Industries for sponsoring this episode. They have kind LED grow lights, which allow you to control the veg and flower spectrums independently, allowing you to maximize quality and yield. And they also have Lotus Nutrients, a nutrient line developed by growers for growers to completely replace the typical 9 to 12 bottle recipe with an easy to use three-part system. To see their products in action, check out their first ever Grow Strong Grow Off. Go to their website, growstrongindustries.com, linked below, and use the discount code MrGrowIt for 15% off. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this episode. Their clip-on oscillating fan is awesome. I've been using their 6-inch version, but they also have a 9-inch version. It's easy to clip on the side of my grow tent and has 10 different speeds, which makes it easy to control air circulation. They do have a non-oscillating version of this clip-on fan as well. It also connects to their Smart Controller 69, so you can control the fans and other AC Infinity equipment through their app from your smartphone. The discount code MrGrowIt15 works on both Amazon and their website, acinfinity.com. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I'm joined with Vince, but most of you know him as 2 by 2 Gorilla Glue. How you doing today? Doing very good, Chris. How about yourself, man? Doing good, good. Appreciate you coming on today. Uh, oh, looks like I have a visitor over here. My cat, Max, likes to jump up oh, onto my I love lap. The oh. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep on recording. We're going to let him settle down, and then we're, <laughs> we'll awesome. continue on with this episode. Sweet. So. <laughs> 
So you grow in a smaller grow space, two feet by two feet grow space to be exact, and you maximize that space, which helps, of course, maximize yield. Now, training the plants to fill up the space is a given, but there's a lot more to it. So in this episode, I'd like to get into your way of maximizing yield in a small space. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into gardening? Definitely. Um, so I've been gardening medicinal plants since 2019, so about three or four years now. Um, my first real experience with gardening in general was, uh, you know, four or five, six years old at my grandparents' house. They had a nice backyard with lots of cool plants growing, and uh, I remember having an apricot tree back there that I just broke a branch off of and stuck in the ground and, you know, let it do its thing, and eventually we were getting fruits off of it, which is, you know, very cool to see, and so ever since then, I've always kind of had an interest in plants. That's awesome. So let's start off by talking about your current grow setup. Um, now, I know you're in a two-foot-by-two-foot grow tent. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Can you tell me a little bit about your setup, like what brand grow tent, um, what lighting you're using, other equipment, you know, so on and so forth? Definitely. So I'm in a – It's technically, it's a 26-inch by 26-inch by 55-inch grow tent. Uh, the brand is called One Deal. Um, pretty standard t grow tent. Um, my lighting, I have a Viper Spectra P1500, it's 150 watt LED. Um, yeah, so far as my other stuff in there, I have an AC Infinity T8 fan, which is, uh, the one with the controller, which is, it's definitely overkill for such a small space, but I, I bought it for a larger tent that I have that I'm still waiting to set up, but I just keep it at a lower setting and it does great for that space. Yeah, the T8, that's that's the big boy there. I mean, a lot of people are using that in like large, like 4x8s or 10x10s, things that full rooms. That's exactly what I was, what I got it for was a 4x8 Vivo Sun tent that I'm just waiting to set up at the moment. That makes sense. Yeah, I, th I think in a 2x2, what, what would you typically run? Maybe like a an ideal world, like a 4-inch setup or, or what? I would say uh, four inches ideal. Um, anything else is going to be a little bit overkill. I, I always like to say that uh, it's okay to have a little more fan than you need, but if you have a little less, you're still going to be fine. Like before, I had the AC Infinity. I was just using like small little desk fans. You know, you stick them in the vent and just have it pulling some air in, pulling some air out, and you know, as long as you have air exchange, I think you'd, you're okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are you growing auto flowers or photo periods? Uh, at the moment, I have not done any autoflower work. I've only worked with photo periods. Um, autoflowers are cool, though. Um, I think just a little more unpredictable, but for the most part, I think it's it's cool. Like, I wouldn't mind having a, an autoflower run under my belt eventually. I'm doing an autoflower run right now, and... Uh... <laughs> I mean, I heard a long time ago that they were recommended for beginners and a different conversation here, but I got to disagree with that. There's uh they could be tricky in some areas, especially if you have that stunt growth within the first 20 or 30 days. I mean, you could really stunt a plant and then end up with a real small autoflower. So anyways, <laughs> so photo periods is what you're growing. Now, are you in soil or cocoa? Are you doing a hydroponic system or, or what? Uh, my current run is in cocoa, pure cocoa, uh, no perlite or anything. Um, the run before this, I was in uh, Roots, Big or Big Roots was the soil brand. Uh, it's just a super soil mix, but really enjoyed that. Uh, 
in terms of the systems, I mean, I, I like all systems. I think they're all fun to work with. It's just a matter of budget and just how much time you have to invest into, you know, your, your grow. Did you start with the brick of cocoa or was it a bagged cocoa that's already kind of pre-rinsed and all that stuff? Yes, it was a bagged cocoa. Uh, the brand is Mother Earth Cocoa. Um, yeah, I, I think that, like you're saying, you know, before before I go for a brick, if I can find a bag of, you know, cheaper, kind of less expensive bagged cocoa, I'd probably go with that over any of the, the bricked options. But, you know, there are some pretty cool options out there for the bricks as well. Like, I, I like the, they come in almost like a puck with uh, with the bag attached, and you just kind of fill it, and I think Florifex does it, and maybe some other companies too, but I, I like that idea. I've mostly used the bricks and, uh, you know, it's, it's good for like shipping purposes, but one of the bricks I had from some brand, I don't even remember the name of it, like super salty, like, uh, even after rinsing and buffering it still had problems with my plants, but I had this other brand, which I can't think of this name either that I got off of Amazon pretty recently and no issues. I just did, uh, I didn't even rinse or buffer because I'm doing some sort of uh, testing I've got going on here, but didn't rinse or buffer, and I had no issues. So it's kind of a hit or miss with the bricks, in my experience. But uh, but yeah, a lot of people do tend to go towards the bagged stuff, since it is typically already pre-rinsed and buffered, and so on and so forth. Definitely, definitely. Now, what size grow pots do you use, and type grow pots? Are you in fabric or plastic, or what? Uh, current run, I'm in one-gallon plastic pots so they're they say one gallon it's a seven inch tall pot i feel like it's a little bit less than a gallon but like i would call it a one gallon pot and when what are you using for fertilizer i gotta imagine you're probably not doing organics probably doing uh you have like a synthetic lineup that you're using yeah so for this run i'm using mills um i've used plenty of other bottled nutrients um you know slow release dry amendments organics uh they all work at the end of the day when we use them properly, but uh, it's. I would say for me, I kind of prefer organics over the bottled nutrients if I'm going to pick between the two, just the ease of use along with just, you know, kind of feeling better about it at the end of the day. I come, I come home to happy, healthy plants when I have organics. When I'm dealing with synthetics, I tend to do something wrong or I overfeed or you know, something goes wrong and then I end up with issues, but... Um, that's on me more than the nutrient company. You know, I'd say the nutrients themselves are great. It's just uh, for ease of use, organics is what I kind of really like to do more. So the Mills lineup that you're using right now, is it, tell us a little bit more about it. Is it, is it like an A and B for veg, an A and B for flour, and then is there additives that you're using as well? Right. So uh, there's only an A and a B, and you use the same A and B for veg and for flour. Just for flour, you would increase the PPMs of that. Um, there's a few different additives, like they have a silica additive called Vitalize. It's a monosicilic acid, so it's you know you know it's good stuff. It's gonna be ready for the plant to use right away. Um, they have a veg additive. Uh, it's called Start R. Uh, it's nitrogen, huge nitrogen boost to kind of, you know, lean the NPK towards veg and then in flour for the first two or three weeks you're using the start R still and then after that you would switch over to their C4 for the next three weeks or so 
And then the final three weeks, you're using um, an additive called Ultimate PK, which is just a huge phosphorus potassium boost, just right at the end, right when they need it. But yeah, that's pretty much all the bottles they have for it. Okay, so they have a feeding chart that you're following, but I assume you're doing like a reduced dosage throughout, or are you doing a full dose? Um, so the way they have their feed chart set up, they have a light mix, a medium mix, and a heavier mix. Um, for this run, I went with the light feed mix and pretty much went issue free for almost the whole grow. I would say around week four or five when I switched over to their C4, I started having some problems. I think that it was, uh, probably a phosphorus toxicity which led to a magnesium deficiency in some of the plants just like it was just too much light um the main problem for me in this tent was nine plants in a two by two is just it's too many plants for me personally like i just wanted to see what would happen more than anything else but i think that i would have done much better if it would have been just one or two plants in the same space in the same time versus doing nine plants you know you have to keep nine different plants healthy and happy versus keeping one or two plants healthy and happy in the same space. You know, you just end up with an easier time. I was going to ask you how many plants were in that space. Nine one-gallon containers in a two-by-two? Two, that's what you're doing right now? Yeah, insane, right? It's, uh, wow. It was uh, it was a little bit of an overzealous challenge. You know, I've always kind of tried to keep it to one plant per square foot is the max I really want to do, but I thought, you know, I've seen places I've worked for do it this way where they'll throw you know this many in such a small space and I just wanted to see what would happen and sure enough I ran into some problems you know just because you just having nine smaller plants there's just no way I can get them to take that much light in the same way that I could if it was one plant right because you figure if you have nine plants with four branches each of those four branches can only take a certain amount of light versus having one plant with 36 branches now all 36 of those branches can absorb all of that light so i'll end up with a better overall final product i would think yeah it definitely comes with its own set of challenges running more smaller plants in that grow space versus one or two larger plants in that grow space i think there's pros and cons to both in my opinion i think one of the things is kind of getting into the grow tent to water right I don't know if you have an auto watering system or if you're doing hand watering. It, it's a hand water system. Uh, I have a little little cup that I would just kind of reach in there. Luckily, it's a small tent, so my arms can reach back there, and I keep the bottoms of my plants pretty well pruned, so I don't have to worry about breaking any branches down there. But it's definitely an ordeal, and it's gotten me to think, man, if I would have had an auto watering system, I probably would have had a lot easier time there, but... Once again, I think if I was going to do any kind of automatic system in there, it'd probably either be living organic soil with some blue mat drippers or an auto pot, you know, and at that point I can really only do one plant in there. So that might be for the next run. Or even a flood and drain would be a, a potential for that. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you're doing right now. You said it's an experiment. What's kind of your ideal state like, what have you done before? Have you done just one or two plants in that before? Like, what, in your opinion, is the ideal state for maximizing yield? Would you just do one plant? Would you do a couple plants or, or what? For maximizing yield, I think that one plant, like I was saying, is probably my best route. Simply just because I can have one large, healthy plant absorb a lot more light, a lot more nutrients, and probably cycle through water faster than I could having nine different plants. And, you know, you know each plant's an individual, so you're going to 
have a problem on this one and you're not going to have a problem on this one and you end up having to adjust the feed that way or you can just not worry about it and let the round finish and try and just learn from that. But I think for me, next round, one plant's going to be a lot better in terms of overall yield because the, the way I, I gauge my yield is the shape of my canopy, the, the cubic dimensions of it, right? I want about two vertical feet and then the entire area of my grow tent filled for, for maximizing my yield, right? Like if I have a two by two space, so I need, what is that, eight square feet or eight cubic feet of canopy space. So I can do that with nine plants and I could do that with one plant. It just depends on, you know, obviously if the one plant might take a little longer to veg that amount of time, but I think it's worth it if I have only one tent, right? If I only have one tent, then I'm only vegging and, and flowering in that same space. So if I have a separate space to veg that one plant for, even if right now my current veg setup is just a single T5 light that I have underneath my desk, and I just throw plants under there just to, you know, keep them alive and growing a little bit at a time while I have my flowering tent up and running. Okay, so one plant in a two by two, and then what would be the ideal pot size for that for ideal pot size i mean i would say for a two by two i don't really want to put anything larger than a two gallon in there because i mean I, I know with a three gallon i could probably fill i don't know maybe a three by three or a four by four with a single plant given the right amount of time and and whatnot and once again, you know, going back to you know my current setup, I've got nine plants in there, nine one-gallon pots. That's nine gallons of media, right? If I have one two-gallon pot, that's two gallons of media. Now, that two gallons of media is going to obviously dry out a lot faster than nine gallons of media, and it's also going to put a lot less stress on my exhaust system, right? The fans aren't going to have to pull as much moisture out of the air if there isn't as much moisture being dumped into the room through the soil. So I would say for me, like like I said, the, the next round I have is going to be just one single Gorilla Glue plant, and I have it in a two-gallon pot right now. I just threw it in maybe a week ago. Um, my current run's going to be chopped on Monday or Tuesday. So hopefully by that time, this plant that I have ready to go will only need to be vegged for you know a few days or so before I can flip it to flowers. So that way, it's, you know, I want to keep a quicker cycle if I can, but... I also want to have the most yield I can get out of that space. So if I have to veg a little longer, I will. Yeah, I think individual goals definitely come into play. I mean, there's so many different ways to go about this. You had mentioned that you would go with a two-gallon, one two-gallon plant in that two-by-two two space. I know people who are running you know, five-gallon, one five-gallon that space, one seven-gallon that space, one ten-gallon that space. You're doing the synthetics. I know there's people who are running organics. So there are so many different ways you can kind of go about it when it comes to pot size, media, inputs, uh, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear your your uh, experience there and what you would say is ideal for that one. The other thing I didn't ask about was sugars. Are you using any sugars like a lot of people use molasses or any microbial inoculants or any other inputs? Uh, so far as sugars or molasses, nothing like that at the moment. Um even when I was doing the organics, I, I didn't do any kind of compost teas or anything like that. Uh, not opposed. I just, uh, I'm in an apartment, so it's, it's kind of harder for me to have a tea brewer set up or, you know, anything like that. But, um, yeah, it's all good stuff, especially, you know, if you're in organics, you know, you can add some sugars and just feed your microbes, keep the 
you know, turnover rate going. Um, so far as my microbial inoculants that I'm using, I'm using uh, it's Extreme Gardening Mycos. It's the water soluble one. Um, I really only use it to kind of like flush my media, um, like as in almost like a transition. You know, like if I was about to flip the flower and it's like I know I was feeding a bunch of veg nutrients, I might hit it with some mycos, plain water before I flip. So that way it's like I get most of that, you know, excess nitrogen out and can start with the flowering nutrients. But then again, you know, some people say, you know, or I guess it's proven now that the plant wants nitrogen maybe for the first three weeks or so. So it's probably less beneficial than I would think. But yeah, I like to use microbes and, you know, especially in organics, you know, it's pretty much that's what you need in organics you know you gotta have the worker bees in there breaking down the organics and just feeding the plant it's a beautiful cycle yep very true okay so we talked about your grow tent setup we talked about what you use for inputs talked about pot size uh i I guess one thing i didn't ask about was like transplanting are you just planting directly into those one gallon containers or are you starting in like a solo cup and then transplanting up like how do you do your transplants and then after that, we'll get into um, trainings, you know, what you do for plant training. Okay. Um, so far as transplants go, um, the current run I had started out in small 8-ounce uh, styrofoam cups. They're very small, right? I really wish I would have started them in solo cups. I probably would have ran into less issues with a larger pot there. Um, the way I go about transplanting is... Uh, I kind of like to look at the plant from the top down, and if I can still see any of the soil, then I'm, I'm not ready to transplant, but if I can't see the pot or the cup at all, then I know it's probably ready for it. So you transplant up, you get to your final container. What do you do for trainings? When do you do the trainings? And then when do you stop the trainings that you do? Okay, so for training, um, I would say this, in, in, in an earlier part of the grow you know if we're in the solo cup I'm pretty much just topping with occasionally I might do some super cropping I might bend a branch if it's really tall and lanky Um, for veg mostly just low stress training or you know scrog I might use the net to kind of keep my branches low and wide I really want my plant to be as low and as wide as I can possibly get it before I flower it Topping works really well for that just because, you know, you can decide how many branches do I want each plant or my current plant to have in general, right? I want to have one top with about seven nodes in each of my trellis holes. In a two by two, you know, that's 16 tops, give or take. So if I can, if I can get 16 tops on one plant and they all have about five to seven nodes, that's a perfect canopy to start flower with, in my opinion. So you're trying to get up to those 16 different tops or, or, or branches to fill up each one of those individual holes on the trellis net. When do you put up the trellis net? Like how many days are you vegging for? And when do you like put up the trellis net? And then what is the height from the trellis net to the like the top of the grow pot? Well, in terms of the height of the trellis net, I mean, that's going to depend on, on your space, right? In my situation with the 55 inches of vertical space, right, I have about five inches at the top was where my light is, and it has to be hung a certain distance from the canopy, so I'd say about 15 inches from the, from the light to the canopy, and I want about two feet of canopy. 
which leaves me with like about, I don't know, four and a half inches of, of leg that I can have when I have seven inch tall pots. So, so vertical space is what I'm always fighting in such a small space. Um, so my trellis net, uh, I kind of, I, for this current run, I, I played with it, right? So I started it out low at uh, about ten and a half inches because I knew, okay, this is as high as I want my legs to be. So I just made sure that before I flipped, none of the branches were really going above the net. I just wanted to keep it all even. And then once I had the full area filled, the full 2 by 2 fold, I let them stretch up a little bit to get some vertical length, right? Because I wanted some canopy to start with, about, you know, 6 or 7 inches of canopy to start with. And so once I flipped, I just moved the net up above the plants so that they would have to grow and stretch up into it again. And that worked out pretty good. Um, like I said, you know, they stretch mostly during the first three weeks. So during those first three weeks, man, they were stretching about an inch a day. Just, you know, I started out with a 10 and a half inch tall plant and right now they're sitting just under 36 inches, you know? So, I mean, it was pretty close. Um, the main thing I like to do too is once I'm done with that first initial three weeks, I like to take, you know, some kind of tie and tie any runaway tops or taller branches, I like to tie them directly to the net just to where they're even with the other, you know, colas in the canopy. So that way, you know, I want the most even canopy I can get so that we don't have any one bud pulling more light than the other or shading out the others if I can avoid that. Got it. So after flipping the flower, that stretch period, you know, two, three weeks, you're probably making constant adjustments to make sure some of the tops aren't dominating others, right? Right, right. If you see one that's you know going up here and this other one's over here, you might pull this one to the next trellis hole over just to lower it a little bit, trying to keep it as even as possible. But, you know, life happens. Sometimes it gets away from us all, but it's going to be okay because even if you get one random top that's you know, way taller than the others. That's where our friend super cropping comes in and we can just bend and break if we need to. We never want to, but if we have to, we will. That makes sense. Now, defoliating or lollipopping, do you do either one of those things? 100% I do both. Um, so far as lollipopping goes, I really like to only do it in week one of flower just to kind of initiate that stretch. I'll I'll lollipop pretty aggressively usually, like I'll go almost to the top node, top three nodes max, and uh, I've noticed, you know, that's, it's kind of like the plant's like, ah, oh, what's attacking me down here? I better grow up here, and it really just induces that stretch, you know, and that's that's what I'm looking for in, in flower generally. I, I like to start with a smaller plant and finish with a medium-sized plant versus starting with a medium-sized plant and finishing with, you know, I don't want my tops to be too close to the light. That makes sense. I know there are quite a fo few folks that are just tuning in on podcast platforms and even the folks that are on YouTube, you're trying to get a visual of how you do things, but you do have an Instagram, which I'll be sure to link down in the YouTube description section below. Uh, and then folks can go there and, and click on there and actually see what your setup is, how you do it, because uh, you've got a ton of pictures on there that clearly show exactly what you're talking about. So I figured I'd mention that one right now. Okay, so you've done your lollipopping, defoliating, um, you've got your plants in the net, spread out, maximizing the stretches done. After that, it's just flowering, huh? just kind of getting through the flowering period, just feeding as you need to, watering as you need to, and so on and so forth, right? 
Right. Uh, I forgot to say about uh, defoliation. So um, there's a book. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it, uh, Three of Light, and they do uh, they do defoliation day 21, day 42, and I've kind of tried it, and it, it's worked very well for me. So I, I always do those defoliation days. I do just like they say. I take off every single fan leaf, larger fan leaf especially, uh, anything blocking the light. I really just want to maximize light penetration through you know the certain amount of canopy that I have. You know if I only have two feet of canopy to work with, I got to make sure I have a light that will penetrate that two feet so that way my bottoms aren't looking as bad as they could. You know, I've, I've had it happen where, you know, you don't get any light down here and you end up with the fluffy popcorn bud and, but, you know, at the end of the day, we want the good tasty sticky colas that you get at the top yeah absolutely i think with the methods that you explained especially when you're doing lollipopping you get rid of a lot of that larf right and uh you know the the from the net upwards is usually hard buds that's the goal that's the goal <laughs> i want to take it back and bring it back to water what are you using for a water source ah uh, so as i said i'm in an apartment so my my tap water it's it's okay it's like 240 something ppm's pretty high so um normally i would never ever use anything like that i have before and you know you get mixed results um currently i'm going across the street i have a rite aid and they have a little water dispensing machine out there so for like two bucks i get a five gallon bottle and i check the ppm's and we're like 12 to 5 to 12 ppm's which is like nothing so it's very very clean uh, so that's what I'm using for water right now. Yeah, that's the reverse osmosis technology is, yeah, because I have the same thing. Um, there's water stations you get, and it's about the same PPM, very, very low. Right. Do you monitor the pH of the medium at all or your initial water source? Uh, if so, what do you aim for? Um, so far as the media goes, uh, currently I'm not monitoring it. I don't, I don't check my runoff or have a meter that checks it but it's kind of hit and miss you know uh i do monitor it whenever i water or feed um the way i kind of do it is I'll, I'll check the ppms of the plain water before i add any nutrients and then each bottle that i add i check the ppms and the ph afterwards just to kind of see how it affects it um but yeah yeah i, I monitor it but uh i'm not super concerned with it like i'm more concerned with the ec ppm or tds over the ph you know the ph to me is more important in like a true hydroponic system where you know if you're in if your roots are constantly suspended in the water or constantly being having water run over them then ph is probably more more important because you know that really affects how much nutrients you're going to be able to uptake whereas in a media situation i feel like you end up not having to worry about pH as much just because the plants produce those exudates that can adjust the environment accordingly to what the plant wants. So if I just keep it in range, you know, within, I usually aim for 5.8 to 6.2 for my, for cocoa at least. In organics, I don't, I don't check pH or worry about it at all because I know that there's stuff in the soil that's pretty much going to adjust the pH to what it needs to be at anyways, but for cocoa, I know it's a little more important, so I try and just make sure that when it's about to get watered in, it's got to be 5.8. Um, temperature is important, too. 
Like, I don't want it to be too cold. Like, any colder than 68 degrees is too cold, and any warmer than 80 degrees is probably a little too warm. So I, I usually try and keep it 70 to 75 degrees. Um, and obviously, like I was saying, EC is more important to me than pH. Uh, I really try and monitor what I'm putting in and at what times, right? You know, you can't... I can't feed a plant that's, you know, smaller, you know, like a fresh clone. I can't feed it the same way that I would feed a, a plant that's, you know, a week away from being chopped down. So, you know, you got to know what you're feeding at. So in cocoa, 5.8 to 6.2 pH going in, ignore the runoff. And then for PPM or, or EC, are you doing, are you monitoring the runoff for that? Or is it just what you're putting in, like what, what your nutrient mix is that you're putting in? Yeah, I only monitor it going in. Like the only time I'm ever going to check my runoff is if I'm having a problem, really. If I'm if I'm noticing one plant has some sort of, you know, burn or or just a look to it, I'll, I might check the the runoff to that. But normally, if I have any kind of nutrient burn, I'm just going to flush that plant just for that week. I'll just not give it any nutrients. Just hit it with some plain pH water, or even then, sometimes that's a good time to use a microbe. You know, if you have some mycos and you know you have a plant that's struggling and you can hit it with some mycos and it might help eat up whatever built up salts are in the media to you know hopefully get it back on track you mentioned the feeding chart that you follow earlier do you know offhand what the ecs are going in uh not the ec offhand um i know that for my my most recent feeding i gave them a very light dose it was like 300 ppms um, that was my final feeding and my next watering here should be tomorrow or maybe tonight. Um, it's going to be just plain water. I, I do flush, um, force of habit. I don't know. You know, we've heard both ways that it's beneficial or non-beneficial. I, I like to do it. I, I just noticed that it really does help with, uh, kind of bringing out some color along with just, you know, peace of mind. I just, it might not work that way where it's, you know, I know I'm not flushing anything out of the plant, but if the plant doesn't have anything else to eat, it's going to start eating itself, which is, you know, senescence. I'm, I'm trying to push that towards the end of flower. So. so we talked about plant training. We talked about nutrition, two very important things when it comes to maximizing yield. Let's get into environment. That certainly can impact the amount of yield that you get. Uh, you know, if your environment, temperature, humidity, CO2 are out of whack, you could see a significant stunt in growth. So let's break it down one by one. What temperature do you typically aim for? For temperature uh, in my grow tent, I, I like to keep it under 80, above 70 if I can. Um, I've had it go up to, you know, 86 in there and you don't have a lot of problems as long as you're, you know, kind of closer to the beginning of flower or in veg, but towards the end of flower, I do like to keep it a little cooler. Um, right now I have it aimed for 70 to 75 degrees. Um, I don't have an AC in there, obviously it's a two by two. So I just use my, my apartment's central AC and that does enough to where I keep it pretty cool in there and don't have to worry too much about the temps. And then humidity. What do you typically aim for for RH? Uh, for veg, uh, as high as I can get it in there, I like to keep it pretty high. You know, 70 to 60 is pretty ideal for me in terms of veg. Uh, for flower, uh, I'd keep it 60 to 50 is 
about where I want it, anywhere in that range is usually pretty safe. Um, and then when I chop the plant, I try and keep the 60 and 60, 60% humidity and 60 degrees if I can, but um, a little warmer than that's obviously not a huge issue, but just uh, in that range is good for me. So if I'm remembering correctly, I'm pretty sure what you mentioned as far as temperature and humidity falls within the, the ideal VPD range, right? You've got the, the green, I don't know how much you know about VPD, but uh, you've got the green optimal range for VPD. Then you've got the yellow, which is kind of like the tolerance range for VPD. And then the red, which is kind of out of range. And I think what you mentioned uh, lines up with the optimal range, or at least in the tolerance range. So you're probably getting some really good plant growth there. Uh, and certainly staying within that VPD range, I mean, that's going to help maximize growth, right? It's going to help maximize your overall yield. Definitely. Uh, VPD is very important. Um, I know that obviously if your environment, you're, if your environment's off at all, you know, it can throw off the way your plant eats, which if your plant's not eating all of the food that you're getting it, you could have a buildup in your medium, which could have, you know, lead to more problems in the cation exchange, right? So it, it really is important and environment's key, um, the better environment that you can create for the plant, the better plant growth you'll get. But that doesn't mean that we can't get decent plant growth out of a less than ideal situation. You know, the plants are very resilient and they can, you know, do things to their environment to affect what they need. But there is a limit, right? You know, you can definitely kill a plant with, uh, you know, a bad environment. I've done it where, you know, you let the tent get a little too warm or, you know, when I first got into this, I didn't know like that you should have a fan exhausting the air out. You know, I just threw a light in there and just hoped it would be fine. But I was like, oh, it's a T5. It won't do anything bad. I'm not going to burn my plants, but you can burn your plants with T5 if you don't have any air exchange. I'll guarantee you that. I fried the crap out of seedlings before when I first started growing because I read on a forum, the more light, the better, which was not true at all, especially with an HID grow light. Uh, burnt the crap out of you completely killed them. So it's like, um, no. <laughs> yep, yep, that's the thing. That's what they say. You know, every uh, every piece of equipment works as long as you use it correctly, but it's very easy to misuse any piece, right? You know, you can do have the most perfect environment, but then, you know, if you're overfeeding or you're overwatering or you're, you know, you topped at the wrong time or something and now the plant has to recover longer, you know, you can run into problems any any which way, but... I think the best thing to do is to remember, hey, I'm only going to be with this plant for 90 days max, right? So, like, as long if I have a problem with this plant, hey, I just kind of let it go unless it's something I can fix now. If not, then just worry about it the next run, man. I think that's my best bet is to keep my, my stress levels down because it's, it's very easy when you're passionate about these plants to let it get to you and stress you out, but... I think that the happier I am, the happier my plants generally are for some reason. So Well said. CO2, one of those things where it's just study after study after study proving that increased levels of CO2 helps increase biomass. Are you doing anything to supplement CO2 in the environment at all or, or no? Uh, not necessarily. Um, as I was saying, I, I do use microbes and microbes breathe out CO2. So to some level, I guess there's a little bit of CO2 supplementation through that. But as far as like, uh, you know, the canisters or the mushroom bags or anything, I haven't done that in that space. Uh, I might do it in the four by eight next, but for right now I'm not, I'm not supplementing any CO2, but it is definitely, you know, you're going to get more yield 
when you when you use a CO2. I feel like there's only two real things that I can say that would increase your yield for sure, and that's CO2 and a, mite, a light mover. Light mover, huh? Even in a 2x2? Two two? No, I wouldn't use it in a 2x2. Two two, oh, okay. uh, for my 4x8, I was thinking about throwing a 1,000 watt onto a light mover so that way I can cover both 4x4 four four spaces with that one light, and I might be able to pull you know, more yield from one light in there than I would if I was to throw two 600 watts in there or something. Oh, interesting. How about pest prevention? We haven't talked about that yet. A lot of people will do things to prevent pests from invading your grow space. What do you do? Uh, personally, I've used a few different things. Um, for organics, I really like insect frass. Um, just kind of helps to keep your plant, you know, the cell walls get more strong, so they're less likely to be attacked, along with just kind of uh, the chitin in there kind of triggers a response in the plant to make it so that their defenses are up. So that's kind of like a preventative uh, if I'm dealing with organics. Uh, in terms of synthetics, I really only use uh, one product. It's called Plant Therapy. Um, I think it's got like some kind of rubbing alcohol and other mix in it. I, I don't know what's in it, but I once again, I really only use that if I see like damage, like if I see thrip damage or you know for some reason see a bug in there, I'm, I'll spray them that day. But I I try not to ever spray in flower. Um, and I really will only do it once in veg just to kind of, you know, peace of mind. You know, like, I just want to make sure, hey, I didn't see anything, but I just want to have a clean slate when I go in flower so I don't have to deal with it in flower. Have you had any, like, major infestations with, say, like, fungus gnats or spider mites or anything that uh, you had to battle? Uh, luckily, in this 2 by 2 not yet. I haven't had any major issues. Um, I've had problems in the past with, you know, fungus gnats, uh, white flies. Um, in some of the places I've worked at, I've dealt with aphids or root aphids and, you know, broad mites, russet mites. I've dealt with a lot of different things along with pathogens like PM and, you know, bud rot and all that. But, um, yeah, in my in my personal grow here at home now, my, my plants are usually pretty sturdy and once they go into flower and I'm on the second story so it's like I, I don't have to worry about the things crawling into our house that way it's less likely so luckily I've, I've been pretty pretty bug free in my tent lately so that's good to hear what other problems have you come across when growing in such a small space and what did you do to fix those problems uh small space problems really comes down to when well, we were talking about environment and um I think that's one of the things that I've learned from dealing with nine plants in the one space is that you have to water them all, right? And so putting a lot of extra humidity and moisture into the room and your fan's going to have to exhaust all of that. So sometimes I've had less than ideal humidity ranges in there where it'll be, you know, a little bit out of the range I like. But my usual fix is just open the tent, let some fresh air get in there and it usually works pretty good. But one of the other problems, too, of a small space, obviously, is just the height restriction. You know, like, I was looking at uh, this Gorilla Glute, or Gorilla Grow Tent that was, uh, I think it's a two by two and a half, but it's like seven feet tall or something, so I feel like something like that, I would have way less problems with height issues, you know, because in this current grow, if I could have let the plants get just a little bit taller, I probably would have gotten a much better yield, and they probably would have been a lot healthier, but... 
because I had to flip it before it hits that certain height, I ended up, you know, having to deal with a smaller plant. But other than that, I would say, you know, two by two space is great for if you're just a single home home grower, you're only growing for yourself. Uh, I think that, you know, four to five ounces every 90 days is a pretty good deal if you're, you know, buying it at the store and stuff, you know, you're spending, what, like a hundred bucks on an ounce or something, you know, you figure two by two tent setups, like 400 bucks if you get the, you know, the whole kit or something, you know, one cycle and you pretty much paid for your whole, whole tent right there and, you know, and then every harvest after that's just, you know, more, more tree, so. You definitely get your money's worth growing your own. Uh, heat issues, have you had any of those? I, that, I feel like that's like the number one problem. I feel like people growing in small spaces is they put these LED grow lights in there, which some people put more more powerful than what they need, and then uh, they're running into heat issues. Has that occurred to you at all, or like is your central air conditioner that you mentioned that you're using is that just completely mitigated? Uh, it's definitely an issue. Um, if I run the light that I have now at 100 percent, the hottest it really gets is like 86. I mean, that's deal withable. But if I didn't have that ventilation system that checks the environment constantly with the little sensor, like, and I just had to rely on me being there, then it's then it's more of an issue. But that AC Infinity fan, man, it makes everything so easy in terms of managing your environment that way with temp and humidity. Um, so far as lighting in in the space goes. Uh, I, I know that I've seen, you know, some of my favorite YouTubers do it where they'll throw a, a much more powerful light than the space can really take, and I've seen good things come from it. I've also seen bad things come from it, so, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, roll the dice if you want, but, you know, don't don't be mad if something bad happens, right? Like, uh, I don't know, even 150 watts seems like a little bit too much light for the 2x2 two two space. Uh, I kind of almost wish I would have gone with the smaller model and just done 100 watts. I probably would have maybe ran into less issues, but I was a little overzealous. I was like, oh, I've got two extra inches to work with on either end. I should be fine, but, you know, we'll see. Next next run, when I only do the one plant, I want to see if I can get it to take the full 150 watts, no problem. And if I do that, then I know I'll probably be okay. But Got it. So I think we covered quite a bit of things that impact yield. The only thing we really didn't talk about was the genetics, right? As number one, uh, you know, get high yielding genetics to begin, and that's going to help contribute towards a higher yield overall, you know, especially in a two by two grow space. But uh, is there any other advice or anything you can think of for those folks that are trying to maximize yield in a two by two space? Uh, yeah, I would say the main thing for me, uh, just knowing your space, right? Knowing how much height you have to deal with in terms of how, how high is my light able to go in this space? Uh, how far away do I have to keep that light from the canopy? And then, I will, like I said, I want about two cubic feet of canopy at any one time um, to get the maximum yield, I would say, right? The most you can really do is three feet, three cubic feet of canopy space. But any more than that, and I feel like you, you might end up burning your tops trying to light up the bottom, and, and I don't want to do that. So I, I tend to just try and keep it in that two foot of canopy range with maybe one to one and a half feet of leg to support it. Um, 
So that, that's my plant that I want, right? That's like the ideal plant shape and size or canopy shape and size that I want for any space. So I just recreate that in a two by two space, you know? If, uh, if you're in a three by three, you know, you want 18 cubic feet. If you're in a four by four, you want 32 cubic feet of canopy. And that should be the, about where you want it if you want to get your maximum yield. All right, good stuff. So let's wrap things up. Tell us, how can the listeners find you, and what do you have upcoming in the future? Uh, well, they can find me on Instagram right now. That's my main social media outlet. Um, I also have a YouTube. Uh, I don't really have a lot of content. It's more of just a video log at this moment. Uh, I would like to do you know, more videos like this in the future. Just you know, I, like, I like to say it like this. You know, The only thing I like doing more than growing... Medicinal plants is talking about growing medicinal plants. So, I mean, something like this is awesome. Just getting to talk to other people about it. It's always a joy. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to keep letting it happen. Uh, hopefully social media will do well for me and I can make some good connections and just keep talking to people about this. And, yeah, just excited for the future. Awesome. Well, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I will have a link to Vince's Instagram down in the YouTube description section below. And I'll also link your channel, your YouTube channel, if you'd like. I can link that down there as well so people can navigate to your channel and subscribe to your channel. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up. Also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I'm releasing a new Garden Talk podcast episode. And I'd love for you to tune into future episodes. Vince, thanks so much for coming on. This has been cool to talk about growing in a two by two and maximizing the space. So uh, I haven't grown a two by two, but I do plan to eventually grow in a two by two. Right now I'm growing in a two by four and a full by four. But a lot of the things that we mentioned today that you mentioned today can be taken and put into larger growth spaces as well. So I think this is not only valuable to those smokes growing in small growth spaces, but a lot of it does go towards larger growth spaces. Definitely. Yeah, you got to be able to scale it up if you can. Absolutely. All right. Peace out, everyone. Catch you in the next episode. Thank you, Chris. Have a good one, man.